0: This is a real story, though, that happened. Um, I, uh, I'm the father of four stepkids and two biological kids. My daughters, as they were growing up, Jayana and Donovan, they were sisters. They were very much sisters, and they would get on each other's nerves like nobody's business. And they, And it would just drive me nuts as their dad that they wouldn't get along. Well, every time... Father's Day would roll around, or my birthday. They'd say, Dad, what do you want for Father's Day? What do you want for your birthday? And I'd said, I want you two to get along. And they said, No, something real. <laughs> something real? That, that's, that is real. I want you to get along. That nothing would please my father's heart more than my kiddos. Getting along and having unity in our family. I'm getting ready to share with you just a scratching of the surface of something that God says in His Word. Psalm, 30, Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when people, God's people live together in unity. Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Colossians 3. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost also must forgive. Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Matthew 7, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Hebrews 12, strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness Without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Romans 12. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant. Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You think maybe something's important to God? No, God, something real. Just tell me what, what you want of my life, something real. And God goes, I'm telling you what I want from you. I want unity in my family. I want you all to get along. Now, last week we began a very short two-week series on handling church conflict. We opened up the book of Philemon and saw how the potential for conflict in the church was there from the very beginning, as the church was made up of all sorts of people from all different walks of life, even masters, Philemon, and slaves, Onesimus. And they were all coming to Jesus and having only one thing in common, Jesus. And yet, they were able to be a part of a body. Now, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict as that happens, because as all these people come into the body of Christ, they all bring their humanity. They all bring their brokenness. They all bring their struggles with their sinful nature. And so conflict in the church is inevitable. The pain of conflict is not inevitable. There's actually a way, if we follow the the prescriptions found in the Bible, there's a way of dealing with conflict that doesn't have to bring hurt and pain and schisms into the family of God. The Bible tells us how to deal with the conflict in a manner that actually is very positive because it will actually bring honor to God and help spread the kingdom here on earth. So today, we're going to look at one of the key chapters in the Gospels that will help us understand the process of being reconciled to one another in peace. So let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Some of you know this as a a, a passage dealing with church discipline. But I actually think it goes a little bit deeper than just the way that a a church should handle discipline with sin. It actually talks about this peace that we can have between each other and reconciliation. We're going to start out in verse 15 of Matthew 18. This is what Jesus says. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything that you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. So that's the core of what I want to talk about today, the core of of reconciliation. But before we look at the core, I want you to understand the context that we find that core in. See, this comes from a a very interesting time in Jesus' ministry. The the chapter begins with conflict. If you look at verse 1, it says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, let me tell you, that's not just a, a, a simple, innocent question that they were asking. Uh, if you read in other versions, uh, in, the, in the other Gospels about this, they were actually fighting amongst themselves who was going to be the greatest, who got to sit on Jesus' right hand and his left hand when he came into power in his kingdom. They wanted to be the greatest. So they were asking Jesus, not this innocent question, oh, who's going to be the greatest? No, they were saying, who's going to be the greatest? Me, right? Me, not him. Not my brother. It's got to be me. There was this conflict going on. And the conflict betrays an attitude that I really want you to to pay attention to. Because what seems to be the attitude shown here by the disciples? It sure ain't humility, is it? Now, this is about ego. This is about me wanting to be better than somebody else. It's about their position. It's about their power. Well, we we, uh, looked at James 4. And James 4 says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Isn't it the passions that war within you? You desire and don't have. So what do you do? You murder or you covet and you can't obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. It's, it's, a, it's a heart issue. It's, it's a, an issue of me, me, me. It's all about me. And I'm putting myself in the middle of God's work. Folks, if you're putting yourself in the middle of God's kingdom, you are, have absolutely missed the, the, the boat. You have missed the mark entirely, and you're headed down a wrong path. And not only that, but once you're going down that wrong path, that's not based on humility, but based on position and power, you're going to leave a long a line of hurt and chaos in your wake. Jesus understood what was going on. He knew about the conflict. So this is how he responded to them. Who's going to be the greatest? Look at verse 2. He called a little child and had the child stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, see it was about them and their attitude, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Nailed it. Nailed it. He said, man, you guys want to know about power. It's all about humility. Now this just begins then uh, the next section where Jesus now talks about the seriousness of our own sin. To try to to realize that if you're going to get down on somebody else for their sin, you better realize that if your right eye causes you to sin, that's serious. You got to deal with your stuff first before you go try to deal with anybody else's stuff. Again, humility, putting yourself in the right perspective. And then he talks about how you would leave the 99 sheep uh, alone to go find one that is gone. Away and talking about the urgency of bringing people back into the relationship that God wants us to enjoy in His body, in His family, in His church. We even uh, read through a passage in Matthew 5 that Jesus tells us reconciliation is so important that if you realize that you have done something to somebody else and you're at church, it's more important for you to leave church and go make it right and go apologize to that person than it is for you to be here in church. Because your relationship with God will be affected if your relationship with other people are not right. So there's this responsibility that if we know that we are on the wrong side, if we have hurt somebody else, we need to go and make restitution and seek reconciliation. Remember Onesimus last week in the book of Philemon, this runaway slave had cost his master money. Uh, th- there, was, there was something that he had done wrong to his master, and he, in humility, needed to go back and admit he was wrong. But then, on the other side, Philemon needed to have humility in order to accept Onesimus back into a right relationship. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here now in Matthew. As he brings up this whole idea of humility and the importance of relationship and bringing one back, he says, Now, let's look at this core. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go show him his fault just between the two of you, and if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, I know, after years of being in ministry and having people in my office, tattling on other people and w- wondering, you know, what, what are you going to do about her? Because she's been doing all of these things to me. And I say, well, have you gone to talk with her? No? Okay, listen. The hardest step, the hardest step is to go to your brother who has wronged you. That's not necessarily the hardest part of that. The hardest part is to not talk to anybody else before you talk to them. Because that's who we are. We like to talk to other people to get them on our side so that we can prove that we were right before we go and tell them that they were wrong. Don't believe me? Spend some time on Facebook this week. And see how many people run to their own crowd to validate their own arguments or their own actions. Boy, it takes guts to not do that. It takes guts to actually go directly to those with whom you have conflict. And when you look at the reasons for doing so, you're going you're to be able to see why it's so important to work towards reconciliation, making going to them your first step. Jesus says there are two things. You need to go and you need to show. Do you see that? He says, go and show, go and show. I, I love that because first of all, go means whose responsibility it is to make this thing right. Don't wait for them to come to you and ask for forgiveness. Don't wait for them to realize their fault. He says, you've got a responsibility. I, I, but understand this. God, God says, I care about you and your actions and your attitude. Well, what if the other person doesn't respond? That's fine. That's why I love Romans 12, 18, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody else. That, that means that some people will not necessarily respond right, so you don't wait for them to respond first. You go to them, you go, and then it says you show him his fault. So a couple things here. Number one, who do you show the fault to? Facebook? Your 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 buddies? You show them the fault of this other person? No, it's done just between the two of you. You go and show that person what the conflict is all about. Keeping it between the two of you is beneficial for a couple of reasons. Number one, it minimizes misunderstanding. I, I, I love talking with Troy uh, York because he, uh, he, he teaches our, our marriage ministry. He and Teresa do, and, and they have come up with this uh, amazing insight that when you're trying to communicate with your spouse and there's some conflict going on, sometimes it's good to, st- to stop and say, is there been a misunderstanding? Like you say this, hey, what I just heard you say was da 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 Is that correct? Now, what's beautiful about that is it gives them a chance to say, no, that's not what I was trying to say. Let me, re- let- let me try to reword it so that we don't have conflict here. Or it gives them the right to say, oh, you better believe I meant that. (laughs) And now we're fixing to have a throwdown. That's fine. Conflict will occur. It's just how are we going to deal with the conflict? When you go to the person first, you can avoid misunderstanding where they say, oh, that's not what I meant at all. Secondly, it prevents gossip. It prevents gossip. If your goal is to reconcile with this person, if that's really truly your goal, is to have harmony and unity and strength and reconciliation, then why would you go, if you had a problem with somebody, why would you go and poison 20 other people against that person? Because now they see them in the same light that you presented them, and even if you do find reconciliation with them, now these 20 people hate this person because of you. Because you did not go to the source. You decided to talk behind their back. Gossip is not fair to the relationship. It's not fair to the other party. The goal for the Christ follower, folks, it needs to be reconciliation. Needs to be restoration. Our aim should be to win our brother, not to win the argument. You see the difference between that? One has to do with relationship. The other has to do with me. And I, I get to be right about this. Two guys, Bill Donahue, Russ Robinson wrote a book called Building a Church of Small Groups. Because many times the, the conflict that occurs in churches do uh, uh, happen within ministries, small, small groups or, or smaller ministries, not necessarily in the church uh, as a whole. At least that's not how they begin. So they give us six or seven principles on how to deal with this Or when you do go and show somebody his fault. Number one, they say what you do, do quickly. Now, you may need some space to blow off steam before you actually go. But don't wait too long. Don't let this thing fester for weeks or months at a time. Remember back in Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you are at church and you realize that there's something uh, that you have against somebody else, stop, go and, I mean, it's that immediate, Go and and try to fix this before you come back. It's that important. To worship God would be the highest priority of, of life of a disciple. But Jesus says being reconciled with others actually takes precedent over the acts of worship. Get right with your brother, then come and worship. So don't wait too long before you actually deal with it. Number two, do it face to face. Oh, technology is sometimes the best thing that's ever happened to us. Sometimes the worst thing that has ever happened to us. You cannot read emotions into emails. If you, want to, if you are trying to say something to somebody on email, do you know how I mean you might convey the right words, but can you really actually tell well you'd say, well, I use emojis. A little smiley face, huh? Don't don't take this wrong, smiley face, whatever. Even if you're using emojis, it, it's horrible. Uh, in a church that I served at down in California, um, one of our elders was a guy that was a very, very busy businessman, uh, one of the higher-ups in one of the, the local food chain, uh, no, the food chains, the, the, the chain of, of groceries, grocery chain, food chain. And uh, yeah, I'd always thought that I had made Rick mad at me because I'd throw him an email and he'd come back with these curt, short little responses. I'm going... Is there something wrong? He goes, oh, no, no, no. That's just the way that he communicates because he has so many things going on that he just jets these things out and there is no emotion to them. See, if, if we're not doing it face-to-face, folks, we are, we are actually crippling ourselves because we will not be able to see the response of the other person to our words. We, we won't be able to take things back. I mean, once you hit send, ha, good luck. That thing is sent and you can't take that back. If you can do it face to face, now it personalizes it. Now number 3 they say to reinforce the relationship. Tell them that you're coming to them, not because you're trying to get back at them, but because you value their friendship. You value their relationship. It, it's not about trying to get your way or trying to get back at them. It's not about revenge or proving a point. It's about, I care about the unity that we have. You're my brother. You're my sister. And I don't want this to, to, to be there in between us. Can we work this out? You, you, you're reinforcing the relationship. Number four, they say observations go much further than accusations. Now, I, I could say to Monty, let's say, I, I could say to Monty, Monty, I, I've asked for that report three times now, and, and you promised me each time that you'd give it to me the next day. Now, as, I, as I'm seeing this situation, uh, that seems like you're, you're breaking a promise to me that there's a, a lack of commitment to the work that we're trying to do. Uh, and so I'm feeling right now that, that maybe you're not respecting me. Okay, that's one thing there's conflict. There's another way of saying, Monty, you're such a liar. (laughs) See, one's an accusation. Oh, you're such a liar. Well, what does Monty do at that point? He puts a defense up and goes, oh, yeah, I'm not a liar. And we have not been able to figure out anything. Uh, If I just am making observations about what I am seeing, it allows for Monty to say, oh, I didn't realize it was coming across like that. I'm sorry. That's not what I... That's obviously not what I meant. And we were actually able to, to get back on the, the, right, the, the right side. Number five, they say, make sure you know the facts. There's nothing, nothing worse in, in, my, in my experience than to go toe-to-toe with somebody and put everything on the carpet and realize that you had no idea what you were talking about. And now you have to put your tail between your legs because you look so foolish because you thought you were right. You, and, and you say, you know, well, they said this, yeah, and did you check that out? That's another thing that just floors me about people who pass along things. Oh, I'm just passing this along. Did you check it? Did you check it? No, then don't pass it along, because you might be right, you might be wrong, and you don't want to be stuck in the position where you were wrong and have to come back and say, whoops, I guess I didn't know all the facts. Finally, they say, again, reconciliation is the goal, not retaliation. Reconciliation is the goal. The the, the point of a fight is not to win the fight. It's to win your brother back, to, to find common ground, to have reconciliation, restoring a relationship that is valuable to us and honoring to God. Now, this actually, this happened just in the last couple months with me. I, I teach Awana, I, I do the council time, and uh, one of the kiddos was was uh, acting up just a little bit, and, and I, I, I called the kiddo down, and uh, then after calling him down, which was appropriate, I, I went too far, and I made a couple of snide little remarks. I guess I was frustrated that night, and even as they came out of my mouth, I went, yeah, that probably was a little over the top in front of the kiddo's peers. After council time, the kiddo's mom came up and talked to me because she was there. Face to face, immediately, making an observation, knowing the facts, said, I'm trying not to be overprotective. I'm not trying to be judgmental here, but that seemed a little harsh. Thank you. My goodness. Thank you for doing it right then, right there, face to face. I was able to, to hear the mama out and say, I'm sorry, that you're absolutely right. That was, out of, that was out of line. I'm very, very sorry. And we parted that night, not enemies, not something that has, people have a problem with somebody else. We actually were able to, to, to leave understanding that we were, uh, we were on the same page. I care about her kiddo. She cares about her kiddo. We were able to, to move on. Problem was resolved. And God says, it is good when brothers and sisters can live together in harmony. So let's say you've done all of that, but the other person is just a knucklehead and they will not respond well. Well, Jesus said, actually, there's, there's, a, there's other steps to this whole reconciliation thing. He says, if he will not listen, once you go to them, go and show, if he will not listen, take one or two others with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, this is not ganging up on anybody, okay? It's actually an Old Testament principle about how any accusation w- would not be um, valid unless you had two or three witnesses. It's not a he said, she said situation at all. Deuteronomy 19.15. It was for protection so that nobody could bring a slanderous accusation that had no merit. By the way, and you know me, I want to under- you to understand the context of your Bible. Please understand this. When, when we show up for worship and only two or three of us are gathered and you say, well, it says where two or three are gathered, there I am with them so we can have a worship service. I say that's not the right context. The context is reconciliation between people. Uh, church discipline, uh, because it goes back to where two or three witnesses are there. God says, I am there too. So it's not about, you can be by yourself up in the Ochikos and God will be there. It's okay. You don't have to have two or three other people. This is about relationships and restoring right relationships. So, so anyway, back to, the, back to the issue. So anyway, though it begins with you, sometimes the other person does not respond. So what do you do? Having two or three witnesses is not a ganging up on the person. It's to bring a sense of seriousness to this issue, to remind them that though the issue is between you and the other person, if not taken care of, it will begin to affect the larger church, the churches as a whole. It will bring other people into it. And so it is serious enough to say, let's talk about this. Now, why bring other people in? Well, you can establish and confirm facts that way. There's accountability. Now, now nobody can say, well, this person said this, and they flew off the handle because they didn't, and you had actually witnesses there, and it guards against further misunderstanding. So though it began with the two of you, it really is important to bring other people into it if the person does not repent, because once the seeds of hostility and hurt begin to fester within a church, between two people, if not brought into health, it's going to have this horrible effect on the entire spiritual family. So if a person does not listen to the seriousness of the issues, then Jesus says, now it's a matter to take to the higher authority. He says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, this actually jumped out at me. Frank, you might find this very interesting. Jesus used the word church. Well, we just went through the book of Acts. When did the church begin? In the book of Acts. When is this happening? Before the church began in the book of Acts. So when Jesus used that word, ecclesia, which means church, what is he talking about? He's not talking about bringing it to the church. That word ecclesia, before it became uh, used as uh, the, 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 the term for a gathering of, of the believers together, it was a political Term of any time anybody came out of their home to gather for a city matter, and so ultimately these would be the elders, the leaders of a city, the ecclesia. So when Jesus says if he refuses to listen to the two or three witnesses, bring it before the church. I've seen church discipline happen where one guy gets brought up in in, in front of the entire congregation. And they say this is what this person has done and they've not been, uh, they have not been uh, uh, repentant of this so we wanted to let all of y'all know. There are some people in this church who would be able to handle that and they will know how to do that and they would begin to pray for that person and they would come alongside of that person and they would be gentle with that person yet firm. And some of you, not very far along in your faith, you might use that as fodder for gossip and talking behind the people's back and, and, and responding to them in the wrong way. So that's why I don't believe that Jesus is saying bring this matter before the entire church. I think he's saying there are leadership of your church like the elders of a city that you need to bring these to. Because they care about the flock and they are there to protect the flock. And so he says this is a somber moment. Should not be rushed into. It's, it's a step that is to be uh, taken when there is continued confirmed, unconfessed sin. It's not a witch hunt. It's not a shun the unbeliever. It's a a way for the leadership to speak into the life of this person that is unrepentant because they are to protect the flock. So much so that Jesus says then if they don't even listen to your leadership, the elders, the ecclesia of the church or or of, of the assembly, then if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat him, as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now, two things about this. Number one, it sounds pretty harsh. But I don't think that it is as harsh as it sounds because Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, listen, if, if anybody doesn't obey what we say, take note of that person, have nothing to do with him. See, doesn't that sound harsh? Have nothing to do with him so that he may be ashamed. Ultimately, so that he might understand that what he has done really does affect the whole. And therefore, should be removed from the whole for a time. But he says, but don't regard him as an enemy. Oh, that's where I think we miss it. Don't regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Let me ask you this. How did Jesus treat pagans and tax collectors? Did he kick him out? Did he say, get out of my presence, you evil, horrible, no good people? No. He saw them as people who needed to come to repentance, who needed to come from the outside back into the inside after a change of heart. So when we treat them like tax collectors and and, and pagans, it's not like we were saying, get out of here. You are never allowed back into this place again. there There is a a care for their souls, that they might come back and be reconciled to the entire assembly. The exclusion is ultimately intended to bring them back into repentance so that we would wait for them with open arms, loving them like like people who needed to be won over, just like Jesus would want us to do. Lastly, by bringing it up into the assembly, it actually does uh, prevent a, a sense of vindictiveness, because it's not about one person who got their hurt, uh, feelings hurt. It really is about the health and unity of a church. Because we've been given a commission. And if we are divided, we can't do that commission very well. It's only when we come together as a family. And you might say, but I don't like that person. That's fine. you got to love that person, though. And you got to be reconciled to that person so that we can put our eyes on the, the right things. Right now, I invite the worship team to come on up. And as we finish up, I, I want to leave you with just a few gut check questions. Because I know, I know that there are people in this room, crowd this size, that you're dealing with this. You're dealing with somebody who has hurt you and you need to forgive them. Or you've, you're, you're dealing with somebody that you have hurt and you need to actually make amends as well. A- as you approach this, I, I, I want to ask, I give you four gut check questions. Number one, When you do this, are you loving that person like, or are you treating them like somebody that God loves? You you realize that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you because you were a sinner and he loves you. But you know that person that you have a problem with? God loved them so much that he gave his son to die for them, to forgive them. And so are you treating them like an enemy of God or are you treating them like somebody that God actually loves? Number one. Number two, what is your goal? Is it reconciliation and unity, or is it retaliation and being right and having your feelings um, validated? Are, are you doing it because you're right, or are you doing it because it is right? Number three, how's your attitude? I, I know that we, we will have emotions. We, we, will, we will be offended, and and, and we should work uh, really hard not to have that offense become a sin. But is our attitude superiority, or is our attitude humility? Have we come alongside of our brother and sister, or have we come from on top of them, hammering them down further? And finally, how willing are you to obey the process that Jesus has asked you to do? We are a church, and being a church, there will be conflict. As long as churches are made up of people, there will be conflict. But I guarantee you, I promise you that through the Bible, there is a way to glorify God in the manner in which we handle our conflict. Have you ever heard, well, she started it. My mom heard that all the time. Well, she started it. You know what my mom would say? Well, I'm going to end it. Now, that was a not-so-veiled threat. Oh, yeah? Well, she said, I'm going to end it. Now, hold on. Ultimately, our God, our Heavenly Father, calls you and I to reflect His grace, His love, His forgiveness, and His glory by saying, you need to end it, Trey. You need to end it. Every conflict must come to a conclusion. Conflicts in the church should never be forever feuds. God has called you and I to be the ones who are willing to end it. But not in the way that the world would say, to, to go out and take revenge and Kill 95 people because they killed your dog uh, that your, your, your wife gave to you or whatever. That's the way the world says, revenge. Reconciliation depends on an attitude of grace and a willingness to overlook offenses and the remembrance of what it means to have our sins forgiven as we learn to forgive other people and live in this amazing community of Christ in God's kingdom.